Welcome, everybody, to KickServeRadio.com, Tennis on Air with Andy Zoden. This is the 2020 debut. I couldn't be more excited than to be joined by Tennis.com columnist as well as the author of The Greatest Tennis Matches of All Time. That, of course, is Steve Flink. Steve, thanks for joining me. The storylines are already rampant in 2020, and we haven't even gotten into Australia yet. Amazing, Andy. I think we're all looking forward. It should be a spectacular season in both the men's and women's games. I'm I'm really looking forward to it. I know that at the time of our taping, you and I are both very relieved that the rains have come to Australia and at least provided some relief for not just that country, but everybody that, that borders that country, and particularly, of course, the tennis players that have to uh, breathe that air. The conditions down there during the Australian season are already pretty difficult, let alone not being able to breathe the air while you're playing. Yeah, it's pretty scary situation all around, Andy, and you just hope that this lasts. We have to get through a fortnight, as you know. There are three covered courts. So at a certain stage of the tournament, you could get all the key singles matches when we get down to the round of 16 and certainly the quarters, all of them under the roofs and so keeping the players a lot safer, breathing better air. But the question is, how do we get there? And now, as you said, we've had some rain lately and there's a forecast better for a few days, but we need it to last. And when there are issues, I sure hope they'll protect the players. And even if it means uh, getting slightly behind in the schedule, uh, They've got to do that. They've never faced anything remotely like this before. Let's start, Steve, with a couple of events that have already been played leading into the Australian Open. We had the inaugural ATP Cup, where we had Serbia end up beating Spain in the final. So you've got the top two players in the world playing in that final, Novak Djokovic and Rafael Nadal. And after the match in Sydney, Rafael Nadal had some pretty choice comments for that crowd in Sydney, he didn't really feel that the crowd was behaving in a way becoming to the sport of tennis. Now, normally, it's been where the roles were reversed and the crowds were sort of in his favor and maybe against Novak. Sour grapes on Rafa's part, or does he have a point? He may have had a point. In fairness to him, Andy, it's a little tougher to judge it when you're only watching on television. You know, there's th- things he's hearing that maybe we don't hear. I just thought these were just very animated crowds, lots of Serbians. For once in his life, Djokovic got to be the hero, got to have this be bathed in, in, uh, in amazing support, and, and it propelled him throughout the week. He didn't lose a match, won six matches uh, throughout the competition, culminating with that straight set win over Rafa in the final. I think they, I, I wouldn't go as far as saying sour grapes. I just don't know whether Rafa is being entirely fair, and maybe he should sympathize with Novak, who for once had the crowd almost entirely on his side. Rafa is so immensely popular all over the world, as is Roger, that the two of them are just grown accustomed to being the crowd favorite. And and the roles were reversed this time, not to mention that Djokovic played an immaculate match, never lost his serve, held serve from Love 40 at 2-3 down in the second set, critical game of the match. And it was nothing but winners and, and a couple of aces that got him out of the five break points in that game. And he just played too well and then played a clutch tie break to close it out. And Rafa did acknowledge the, the level of Novak's play. I don't, crowd or no crowd, he was going to have an awfully tough time beating him uh, on that particular day. We saw some extraordinarily high-level tennis throughout the entire ATP Cup. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And a couple of honorable mention matches. Djokovic beating Medvedev 6-4 in the third, closing out that match with a remarkable 4-5 or deuce game at the end, and both men playing their best simultaneously. And then Djokovic coming back to beat Denis Shapovalov in the previous round in a beauty as well that went to the tiebreaker in the final set. There was a lot of 
first-rate tennis all across those 10, 11, 12 days. And I think the highlight for the Australian fans would have been the 7-6-6-7-7-6 victory by Nick Kyrgios over Stefanos Tsitsipas, who had just won the Tour Championship. Yes. So those are two of the young guys that when we talk about who are the guys that might displace the big three, probably both of those names are going to come up. Yeah, you're right about that. You're so right. Just quick reference that, that sure. you know, last last summer Kyrgios had beaten Tsitsipas in a similarly great match in the in Washington in the semifinals, and he did it again. He was poised all week, and yet, interestingly enough, when it came to the final round, Nick had been letter-perfect all week, but Bautista, Goot, took him apart in straight sets. Very impressive performance, and it wasn't that Nick really lost his cool. He just got outplayed. Well, he lost his cool, or at least he had a little bit of an episode when it came to being in the crowd during a Djokovic doubles match. So he continues to sort of go up and down on the barometer of popularity, bouncing up and down wildly from being a, a, a crowd, you know, a national hero and helping raise money for uh, the victims of the of the brush fires and then going in and, and sort of acting a fool uh, in the crowd while yeah, Djokovic right. is playing you're a doubles right. match. But in, his, but in his own matches... He was, especially in his singles matches, he was surprisingly calm and seemed to realize that he had no choice uh, because he just doesn't, you know, when, when, you've, when you've been uh, in trouble with the tours he has and suspended, you know, or in danger of suspension and having served a suspension, I should say, you've you got to watch out. Well, the bottom line is, is it love him or hate him, uh, he's the first guy to come along. Uh, since probably Connors and McEnroe, that is just such must-see TV, for better or for worse. He's kind of the Howard Stern of the tour right now. Ah, that's a great, great, great comparison. I agree with that. There's a little stirring. There's a little Mac and a little Connors, maybe all wrapped up into one. Let's talk about Serena Williams because she has been just dying, aching to win that 24th major. She's lost four major finals uh, since becoming a mom, and now she's finally won her first singles title with daughter Olympia at her side by winning the Auckland Open. Was this win something that she needed to get her over the hump to finally win? that 24th major could it happen in australia and if not could it at least happen in the year 2020 well it, it could it definitely could but you as you alluded to those are four major finals the last two years two the last two wimbledon's the last two opens four different players four very different stylists too when you look at the likes of kerber and Halep at wimbledon and osaka and and at the open those are the four that beat her they all play very differently and each time, you know, Serena losing in straight sets in those finals, she played awfully well to get to the title rounds of all those majors. Now, as you said, she finally wins. She wins a tournament in Auckland, first one since, since actually it's her first title since 2017 Australian Open. So it's a big lift, but it was a much weaker field than the one that Pliskova won over Madison Keys. And the, the, most of the top players that were there, including Osaka. So I think that, and Ash Barty. So I think that, it's it we got to put it in perspective it was not a that strong a field and yet any title route not right now means something to serena it gives her a nice lift coming in and now she's she could well come out to a crucial quarterfinal against osaka wouldn't that be a beauty if we get it in melbourne very likely that they would meet in the quarters and that the winner of that match might well go on to win the whole thing all right let's swing back to the men's side steve and let's now look at this australian open uh, Novak Djokovic, this has been this has been his playground, and he's won what seven of them so far. So yes, he has. you know, and he's going for his eighth, and he's obviously in great form, as we alluded to earlier, uh, leading Serbia to that ATP Cup title, beating the current number one in the world, Nadal, in the final. So we've got the big three all healthy, all ready, all hungry. 
But we've got this young crop of players that we saw make their move uh, in London and, and in other areas. We, we've seen Dominic Team get to a couple of French Open finals in a row. We've seen Stefanos Tsitsipas uh, really ascend to the upper echelon of the sport. We've seen the same from Daniil Medvedev, given Rafa all he could handle at the U.S. Open final. And, of course, there's Kyrgios, who on any given day, we don't know what to expect other than the fact that it's going to be interesting. So if you were to bet on whether the big three are going to continue to dominate these majors or if this young crop of new players are going to come in and start to level the scales a little bit this year, is 2020 the year that we're finally going to see that? I think so, uh, Andy. I think that these guys that you've just mentioned, they've set the stage for a really impressive 2020 season. And I, I believe that, it's funny, I picked... Tsitsipas to win this tournament. Now he will ha- to do it though. He's gonna as a number six seed. He's gonna have to knock out Novak Djokovic <laughs> in the quarterfinals, the defending champion. Then he'd have to beat Federer in the semifinals, and then go on and conceivably beat Nadal in the final. Nadal has some hard work on his half of the draw because he might have to deal with Kyrgios, the man you just mentioned, possibly in the third round, and uh, then potentially a quarterfinal with Dominic Team, and maybe a semifinal with Medvedev. So there are no certainties here, but I do believe, Andy, that this will be, whether it happens in Australia or not, that at least one of those guys will get on the board this year. When I made my predictions for the year on my Tennis.com column, I did pick Sissipas to win here and then Rafa to defend the French and Novak to win Wimbledon in the Open. So I do think we're going to see some change over the course of the season. Okay, so we saw Jimmy Connors get to the semifinals of the U.S. Open at 39. We saw Ken Rosewall do some amazing things at age 40, 41. But I think, Steve, it's pretty safe to say that we've never seen anyone in the history of the sport play anything close to the level of tennis at age 38 that Roger Federer is playing right now. Does he have enough left, uh, enough tread left on the tire, enough left in the tank to get another major or is there potentially a lot of residual damage mentally left over from the disappointment of serving at 8-7, 40-15 in the fifth against Djokovic in the Wimbledon final that might end up coming back to haunt him this year where he may have enough doubt creep in and that father time may eventually take its toll, that Roger may be still relevant and competitive, but has he done winning majors? No, I'm not willing to say that he is. I think it's a fair point you're making that there are there's residual dampening of the spirit, you might say, or there was sort of a lingering, not so much doubts, but you're, you're haunted by it in a way when you, I'm sure, I'm sure he replayed that Wimbledon final in his mind many, many times and went back to, to when he had double match point, as you just described it, having served consecutive aces to get there. And uh, yet Novak found a way to come out of that dark corner and win the match in a 13-12 in the fifth, taking that tie break at 12-all. I think I don't think that Roger lost in the U.S. Open to uh, Dimitrov because he was still thinking about that. He was hurting there. He finished the year reasonably well. He did lose to Sitsipas in the semis of the year-end championships, but he did beat Novak in the round robin. I feel like he still has the capacity to do it mentally. The question is, can he physically take the strain of the seven matches? I don't know. I think uh, I never thought we were going to see him come twice, be a point away from beating both Nadal and Djokovic back to back to win Wimbledon last year. I mean, he was that close, and uh, you know, he played he played uh, 
well at the French and got to the semis there, and as I say, was a little hurting at the Open. No, I don't put it past him. I think the odds are slightly against it because the Djokovic and Nadal are, you know, he's given away over five years there. There's there's all the younger brigade, and yet he has this incredible, unwavering passion for the game. So I think if he can put himself in a position with some the right kinds of draws, maybe just maybe he gets one somewhere along the line this year, and probably that would be Wimbledon. My guest today on the 2020 season debut of KickServeRadio.com from Tennis.com, one of their top columnists and the author of the greatest tennis matches of all time, the great Steve Flink. Steve, a career that's going to come to an end uh, and a glorious career at that uh, at the end of this year's U.S. Open is that of the Bryan brothers, Bob and Mike. And we've seen them come onto the scene and burst on as as All-Americans and national champions at Stanford and before that amazing juniors. And then the career that they've had winning their first major, the French Open in 2003 and winning the, the subsequent, you know, 15, 16 that they have. And 100, I don't even know what are they at, 118, 119 titles. <laughs> lifetime Far ahead of anybody else, twice, almost twice as many as the Woodies. Put into historical perspective what they have done, what we've seen from just a body language perspective when you watch professional doubles, you see movement and you see the kind of doubles partnership chemistry between almost every doubles team on the tour, men, women, adults, juniors, country club level players. I mean, you see the Bryan brothers, you see slapping hands between points by all these players. I mean, isn't it just an amazing thing to see the mark that they have left that the way they have really changed the optics of the sport? Well, you described it beautifully, Andy. I mean, they will have left an indelible impression on the game. Their their exuberance has really been unmatched. I mean, listen, the Woodies had a great time playing doubles, and they brought a lot of uh, they brought a, a lot of excitement to the sport and professionalism. And we had the great teams of the past, like Newcomb and Roach and Hugh and McMillan and Rosalind and Stolle. So many great teams across the years. But these two guys, the Bryan brothers, is I don't, I don't think I've ever seen a level of passion that can quite reach their their level. The chest pumping, the the other thing that I think of with them in terms of the impact is that they bring some of the old components of doubles. They both attack so well. They remind me more of teams of the past than most doubles partnerships today in their ability to get up to the net and take command. And I, I, I just think, and they've been really honorable representatives of the sport. They're, they're really good guys, and, and they're going to be sorely missed, Andy, when they leave. But I think they're probably picking the right time to step aside and move on to other activities. I think they've carried doubles really for more than a decade with, with the, the power of their personalities and, and their, the, 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 their professionalism and dedication to their craft. How would you like to have seen a U.S. Open final at their best, Brian and Brian versus Mack and Fleming? Well, it would have been a beauty. It would have been a beauty. I would say that, that you could argue that McEnroe might have been the best the best doubles player on the court, but that 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 maybe the Bryan brothers, you know, as a combination, would have been too good. Not to diminish Peter Fleming by any means, because he was a great doubles player with an incredible backhand return, and he more than contributed to that team. But I w- would have loved to have seen that match. I would have loved to see them playing Stan Smith and Bob Lutz. There's a lot of teams I would have liked to have seen them play, and I would have liked to have seen in their primes that the Bryans versus the Woodies, who you just mentioned earlier, would have been great. Fun. Well, they played. They played a number of yeah, times. Yeah, they did. And... I mean, I mean, I mean, I don't know whether 
you can really say, yes, I think they caught the Woodies really maybe when the Woodies were past their primes is my point. I don't yeah. think it's kind of a fair comparison. But I mean, you know, a time warp where the Woodies sure. were at their absolute best, maybe the Woodies of the 90s yeah. versus versus Mike and Bob maybe of 2007, 2008, something like that. Well, those boys certainly changed doubles forever. Steve, I always really enjoy the times that we spend together, and I look forward to doing this throughout the 2020 season here on KickServeRadio.com. Tennis on Air with Andy Zoden. You're always an encyclopedia of information, and I know we always enjoy doing this. So I'm going to be seeing you in the desert at Indian Wells, but let's make sure that we get together and do one of these well before we do that. Fair enough? Oh, fair enough, Andy. I enjoyed it as always. It goes by fast, but I'll look forward to the next one. Absolutely. Thanks so much, ladies and gentlemen. That has been Steve Flank. You will be hearing from both of us on KickServeRadio.com, Tennis on Air with Andy Zoden, throughout the entire 2020 season. So stay tuned, and we will hope that you enjoyed the great tennis season and enjoy that Australian Open.